0: So three years ago on Father's Day, I stood here and I spoke on the Father's heart of God and what God's heart is for each and every one of us. And I find it very difficult to move away from that fact. From that fact of His heart and His love for each of us influences everything I do. It it influences every thought and every action knowing that God's heart is for me and not against me. See, fathers and fatherhood are very important to God. He's passionate that his children know and experience this part of his nature and that's why the devil has been and is still attacking and undermining fathers and their role in family life and being a father is that important to God that he gave himself the title it's not just so that we can relate to him but so that he's an example of what a loving father is And as believers, it's vital that we know who we are in Christ. That we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That we've been adopted into the family of God. That we are sons and daughters. However, it's not going to do you much good knowing that. And knowing that you're the child of God if you have a skewed view of the Father. So, in John 5, 19 to 20, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Father can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees. No, start again. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. The Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. And then in John 14, verse 9, it says, Jesus said to them, Have I been with you have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father"? I take "This jacket off before I uh, melt." So I wonder what you, what thoughts run through your mind when you read these passages of Scripture? Does your image of God differ so much from your image of Jesus? Do you find it easier to approach Jesus than you do the Father? Do you allow your earthly experience of your dad to colour, skew your thinking and your attitude and relationship with your Heavenly Father? It's a fact, isn't it, that some of us have had very good earthly dads and some of us have had stinkers. And that's just a fact of life. But we all have a heavenly dad who is the best. Who is the best. You know, and I don't know where to put this in, but I acknowledge and honor the people who are parenting on their own. You know, I've had the honor and privilege to pair them with my wife, two of us together, and it's hard work. So if you're doing it on your own, well done. Keep going. You know, it's an it's amazing job you're doing. Anyway. So three years ago, I asked that if there were three doors at the front, if you were here three years ago, you might vaguely remember this, but you might not. There's three doors up front here, and one's marked Jesus, one's marked God, and this one's marked Holy Spirit. And I asked by a show of hands, if you had to go through one door, which one would you choose? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, which door? You've got to go through one. But which one would you choose? And the majority of people went, Jesus. And I get that, and I understand that. But even if you choose that door, Jesus, you end up with this door, God. Because that's where it leads. The question that we need to answer is why is your image of God and Jesus different? If it is different. When I flounder, when I fail, when I've sinned, I find Jesus the easiest one to approach because I think he's walking my shoes. He knows what it's like to be human. Therefore, woo I'm going to him, because he'll have a bit more sympathy. He'll have a bit more understanding. He'll have a bit more compassion. Is that not a strange and weird and incorrect way of thinking? And I think it comes down to this, that I've not truly grasped what God thinks of me. I understand what Jesus thinks of me. And and I possibly go, well, because of that cross, Jesus thinks I'm wonderful. Because of that cross, Jesus was willing to do it all. But somehow, My thinking towards God is, he's going to beat me to death if I've sinned yet again, if I've fallen over yet again, if I've made the same mistake 25 times after promising I'm never going to make that mistake again 24 times ago. But what does God, the Father, think of you and you see what I'm going to read out now is what we normally do with youth groups so young people for those of you who have stayed up I'm really sorry because you've probably heard this before but we labour the points of young people of what God thinks of them as though it's only for young people as though as once you've clicked over that 22 age bracket, and you suddenly you have got it all sorted. So, this is what God says about you. This is what the creator of the universe says about each and every one of you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Quite good, that, isn't it? My hands don't actually work as well as they used to for various reasons. But just look at your hands and wiggle your fingers. Are they? Well, just are they not amazing? Are, are they not wonderful things? If our Labrador had a thumb on his paws, would well, he be able to open the fridge?
1: And then it'd be chaos.
0: But we're wonderfully made. You are the salt and light of the world not you will be one day you are you are complete in Christ and you have been given fullness in Christ does anyone feel complete in Christ? one okay I'm going to come and ask what your secret is later (laughs) But it's, just, it's a truth, it's a statement. You are. Not you will be, you might be, you could be, if you work really hard, you are. God holds your hand and helps you. For I am the Lord your God and takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. That's Isaiah 41 you ever held hands with somebody you don't like? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's not nice. It's not pleasant. And you certainly don't want to help them while you've got hold of their hands. You just want to let go and give your hand a wipe on your jeans and go, that was horrible. But God wants to hold your hand and help you. You are loved with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31. God takes great delight in you and sings over you. Oh, that just, I get lost for words. He sings over you. Can you picture that image? Like a mother laying a baby in a cot and sweetly singing. Can you picture it in your mind? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) You are anointed and have been given a purpose. Not a mistake. It's a plan and a purpose. You are forgiven and redeemed. You are created in the image of God. John 45 says, you are beautiful. You, 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 you are beautiful. That's That's not some 51 year old fat guy saying that you're beautiful. This is the creator of the universe. This is the king of kings. This is the lord of lords. You're beautiful. You are more than a conqueror. You are a chosen, holy, and dearly loved. You are chosen, holy, and blameless. You are God's handiwork. You are worth fighting for. You are set free in Romans 8, says that. And you are a new creation. Absolutely amazing what God speaks about you. Now I understand him speaking that about me. Because I'm wonderful and lovely. But that's for all of you. For all of you. And if you're still not convinced, if you're still having a bit of a doubt, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, will have eternal life for God. So when I'm going to Jesus and I'm going, he'll understand a bit more. It's God who actually understands that bit more. Because it was God's love that sent the Son. It wasn't Jesus' plan, although it was. But it was God's plan. Of salvation. It was God's love. And in Romans 5 8, I really, I, this blows my mind. That God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but in my Christian walk, the devil's calmed me but I can't do things for God because I'm a sinner. I might have been forgiven my sins and that cross might have happened, but I still fail God and I still sin. So therefore, that's not what the scriptures say. He loves me the way I am. And he loves me that much. He wants to change me into the way that Jesus is. But he doesn't look at me and go, oh, it's Courtney again. (sighs) What am I going to do with him? Looks at me and thinks, there's my son and I love him. So why would an angry God bother to give the best that he had for us? What would we give to save each other and to redeem each other? Would we? I've got two sons, and I know I've stood here before and gone, I've got two sons, and I'm not giving either of them for any of you. And that still stands, I'm sorry. The motivation of God to go. They're worth it. They're worth it. worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. I'll give the best I've got. Blows my mind. And yet we look at each other and do we hold judgment on each other? Do we view each other through the eyes of a loving God? I was gonna say something there about my brother. That's why I was smirking, but I'm not going to just in case one day he hears this. See, we look at each other and we see each other's faults. And you can see my faults better than I can see my faults. And yet God looks at us and sees the completed work. And he's not deluding himself, he's not thinking they're perfect, they've made it, they are at the end stage. He's thinking they're going to be just like Jesus because he's going to complete the work in you that he'd be done in Christ Jesus. So, the creator who spoke. Stars and planets into being, as said, I'm going to complete the work in you through Christ Jesus. Well, there's a body of evidence there, isn't there, of the work that He's completed? It's tried and tested. And I wonder how. You would speak, excuse me, you would speak to the Apostle Paul or Peter or John if they were in this building now, whether there'd be a little bit of reverence and respect in your voice and a little bit of hero worship even. Do you know what the most important thing to me is? is not how you guys see me, speak to me. Or react to me, or how God sees me and how God feels about me. That God is passionate about me and about you. Passionate. Do you ever think of a passionate God? Passionate God? That gets me quite excited. There's a passionate God. He's not passive, He's not busy doing other things. He's passionate. And He's passionate about you. I think you're hearing a different message this morning than I'm speaking. So in Luke 15, verse 3, there's a story of the lost sheep. It says, it's talking about Jesus. So he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost, until he finds it. Can I just stop there and say, I am the one who doesn't leave the 99 and goes after the one? Because in my head, that's lunacy. So you've got 99 sheep in a pasture, okay? So you've counted them. How difficult to count sheep? Because they're not going to stand still that long, are they? So you count them and you go, start again. 99. There's one missing. One missing. Can't see it anywhere. I'm going to leave my 99 sheep and I'm going to wander and look for the other one. What? What sense does that make? Because there's 99 sheep there left on their own. So by a show of hands, who thinks that by the time you found the one and get back to the 99, there's not going to be 99. Yeah? Anyone? Just... Yeah, there's a few of us. So, what man does not leave the 99? There he is. Nah, I wouldn't do it. Sorry, boss. 99 there, one got lost. Still got 99. 99. And when he he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. You see, what strikes me about that is, one, the lunacy of leaving 99. 99 two what was the celebration what was the rejoicing i'm willing to put five pound on it that they had lamb in the celebration it's just my i'm willing to think that that celebration with his neighbors lamb was on the menu I'm willing to uh, possibly think it could have been, however, however. But I want you to consider this, that the sheep that was lost didn't know it was lost, and didn't feel the loss, and wasn't over there, away from all these sheep over here, thinking, I really miss them 99 other sheep, they were good guys, I miss their fellowship and their friendship. Or even I, the Shepherd, he was cool. He was all right, and he used to look after me. The sheep that wandered away hadn't realized it was lost. I didn't care that it was lost. I felt no loss. And then Jesus goes on to say, in Luke 15, verse 8, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents the coin didn't know it was lost and the coin didn't feel any loss and the coin didn't sit there and think as it was stuck, wherever it was stuck, I miss the other nine coins they were great guys they were fabulous I miss them or even that woman who had us in her purse, she was great the coin didn't know it was lost and it didn't care that it was lost And I'm willing to consider that the celebration and the rejoicing over the found coin costs more than the coin's worth. Yeah, I found my coin. I'm going to go and celebrate Where's the coin. I've just spent it. And then Jesus goes on in Luke 15 verse 11 and he talks about a lost son. He says, Man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Imagine that conversation. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. That's what he's saying. Give me what I'm going to get when you're dead i love it now, thanks. So he divided his wealth between them. What a good father. I had to give him a clip around the ear and send him away. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on his journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hid himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. So the son doesn't realise he's lost. The son's not giving one thought to the father, to his brother to the family estate. He's been having a whale of a time. And even now, he's spent all his money and he's having a bit of a hard time. He's still not thinking about anyone but himself. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses... Did he come to his senses or did he just realise? If I go back to my dad's, he'll feed me. Hmm. What's his motivation here? His motivation is still what it has always been. Self. He's not had some great revelation. His motivation is, I'm starving to death, I want a meal, and I want a safe place to rest my head. He is in no way having a revelation and a, oh, woe is me, I am lost, and I need to go back to my father. He's thinking, I'm hungry, I'm stinking, and I can have an easy time at my dad's. Feel free to disagree with me on that interpretation of the Scriptures. That's the way it strikes me. I'm going to paraphrase here. But he conjures up this great plan, as we all do when we think we're in the wrong and we want an easy time. And he thinks to himself, I know, I'll go back, I'll fall on my knees and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, just make me a servant. Knowing what my dad's like, he'll buy that. He'll fall for that. He won't give me too much of a hard time. He'll say, yeah, yeah, okay then, go on, you can go and be a servant. He's not going back to his dad with true repentance. He's going back for an easy time. So, it goes on to say. goes to say somewhere? Anyway, right. It, it goes on to say. Why can I not find where I want to? Right, verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I'll stop there. The father saw him while he was a long way off, which would suggest in my stupid little mind that the father has been looking on a regular basis along the horizon for his son. Which would suggest to me that the father is feeling the loss of the son. Now we've seen that the son's not feeling the loss for the father, but the father's feeling the loss for the son. He stood daily looking for the son it's the father who's been aching to see him it's the father who's been longing to be able to hug him hold him talk with him not the son but the father. No loss. Was suffered by the son. Bit of money. Ah, oh well. He enjoyed it while he had it. But the father was stood looking. The father was stood aching. The father was there thinking, oh, will you come home? I want to see you. I want to touch you. I want to hug you. I want to share them daft jokes we shared. And just like... I, I just... I don't think I can express to you the heart of the Father in this. His feeling of loss, his feeling of just complete and utter abandonment, of just, oh, I long, I long to see him again. I long to hold him again. See, on the face of it, the coin, the sheep, and the son are of little value. See, after all, the shepherd had ninety-nine more sheep. The woman had nine more coins. And even the father had another son. Shepherds, the woman and the father, they all felt the loss so greatly that they were moved to act. And the same with God. It's his loss, his aching heart, his love, his desire for restitution and restoration of the relationship that motivated his plan of salvation. See, this morning. Does your soul know its worth? Do you still see yourself as that dirty, rotten sinner that's no use to God, or do you see your soul's worth? But if God isn't angry. For his longing. See, you may listen to many voices in this world that tell you your lack of worth and value. I was in a meeting recently with my boss. And when there's a group of us, he tends to, to, to be the Napoleon in the room. i will tell you something about his size as well. Um, but he tends to play up to the crowd, and, and we got round to just—he was just discussing where he was going for his honeymoon, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm going here for a month." And he was like, "That's yeah, very good." And he went round the room, and well, where are you going? Yeah.
1: Where are you going? Yeah. And he
0: got to me, and he went, "Where are you going?" And that last year we went to Bulgaria, and he went. Uh, You should work harder at school. You should work harder at school. So which I said back, yes, I realized that. Having working for you I fully understand I should have worked harder. But he doesn't understand my value and my worth. not a problem. But the sad thing is, he doesn't understand his value and his worth either. See, he thinks his voice, to me, is important. He thinks I hang on his every word, every email, every phone call. Never mind. Delusion's a wonderful thing. But the most important voice is God the Father and what He says about me. What He says is, I value you. You have such worth, such worth to me that I exchange, I exchange Jesus for you. It's not a bad swap, is it, for one of us? I'm going to play a song now, and I just want you to listen to the words.
1: I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. You have
0: vitally important that you appreciate and understand the Father heart of God for you. It applies to you. It doesn't apply to everybody else bar you. It applies to you. Now, all of them scriptures that I read out before, you will be amazed how many of them are in the Old Testament. Because the Father heart of God is not a new creation in the New Testament. It's from the beginning of time. In fact, it precedes time. And it will continue forevermore. And I will tell you these things To make you feel proud. And aren't I really, really special? But to make you feel loved. and want to tell other people about how he loves you. We sang before, didn't we? Oh, what a saviour. Yeah. Oh, what a saviour. Let's pray. Father, we are who you say we are, loved, cherished, and have worth and value to you. Father, we are grateful that you love us beyond anything that we can ever, ever imagine. Father, we thank you that your heart's desire is for us and to have a personal, loving relationship with you. Father, that we would see ourselves as you see us.